Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. My name is Kim Peek, and I am so happy you are here celebrating the start of 2022 with me. I think we have a lot of pressure this time of year to make resolutions. And as I say every year, by the end of January, most people will have lost their focus and lost interest in that resolution that seems so important just weeks earlier. So what do you do if you have something that you want to achieve? Because it's easy to let that focus slide. I have been saying that you need to have your people. You need to have those people around you who can support you and hold you accountable and give you that soft place to fall when you mess up. And along with that, the connection part is really, really important. There's all kinds of research that shows that having our people, having those close connections are a very important piece of mental health and living a long life. So you get double points there by getting a buddy to hold you accountable in the new year. But beyond that, I also want to say that you don't have to have a New Year's resolution, but if that's something that's important to you, if setting goals or changing something is important, I'm going to have a few tips here. But also know that you are lovable and perfect and fabulous exactly as you are. So only make changes that you think are in your best interest, changes that you want to make. So I always start out by selecting a word of the year. And another thing that I do is I journal every morning. And in that journal, I have an ongoing list of things that I want to achieve. And every morning I'll revisit that list. Sometimes I'll just read parts of the list. Sometimes I'll rewrite it or add to it or build on that list and go, oh, I want to do this. What are the baby steps it's going to take to make sure that I can get there. So I'm holding myself accountable, not just wishing for something to happen, but actually looking at what those baby steps are that will help me achieve that. So that's another thing I do. I also write out things that I'm grateful for. I write out a few affirmations each morning. And this has just been a really good way for me to stay focused on what's important to me. I've also been having some problems with my eyes though. And so my eye doctor has me doing this warm compress on my eyes for about 10 minutes a day. And because I am someone who just can't sit still, I have trouble sitting still for five minutes at a time, sitting still, doing nothing with my eyes closed is really hard. So what I've been doing for that 10 minutes is I start listening to affirmations or I try to just repeat affirmations in my head and go through them for that 10 minutes. And it makes me feel like I'm not just wasting time because that is an issue that I have. Anyway, so I think it's important also to think about the fact that there's nothing magical about New Year's Eve. You can start over 
at any point that you want. You can start over on a Monday or a Friday or 30 minutes from now. There's nothing magical about New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. I also though think that for me, I like to kind of reevaluate things. I mean, I'm doing it every day in my journal, but I also like to reevaluate things three times a year. I look at January 1st, and then sometime around the spring or summer when the kids are getting ready to be out of school. And then also in the fall when it's back to school time. And you can tell my life has revolved around the school schedule for a lot of years. But it fits with the rhythm of my life because how much time I have for different things fluctuates depending on how many kids I have in my house and how involved I am in whatever's going on in their lives at the time. So if you've ever done a word of the year, or if you've never done one, either way, I would encourage you to try it this year. And if you do, I want you to send me an email or a message on one of my social media platforms and let me know how it's going. This year, I have chosen three words. They are evolve, invest, and explore. And I'll tell you more about why I chose those words later in the year. But the big picture is my baby leaves for college in the fall. And so this is going to be a year of big changes for me. And those words just feel like how I'm going to be spending a lot of my time, kind of finding my own way, making my own dreams come true. And so I am going to bring all of you along for the ride as 2022 opens up and especially as life starts changing bigger for me at the end of 2022 when my daughter departs for college and I'm going to have all this massive time on my hands. Sure, I'm always going to be there for my kids. I love them. There is nobody who loves and supports them more. So I'm not saying I'm running away from my family, but they're going to need me a lot less. And so my focus is starting to shift. And I am planning on the three key words, evolve, invest, and explore. And I am going to create my dream life with those three thoughts in mind. And I'm going to take you along. So I hope that you're going to want to stick through all of this. And maybe we can create this transformation together. Now, let me tell you about today's guest, who I talked to a few months ago, about creating your dream life. Jessica Michelle Singleton has been a force in the comedy world for the past decade. She was most recently seen in the Showtime docuseries, The Comedy Store, about the world-famous club on Sunset Boulevard where comedians like Robin Williams, David Letterman, and Richard Pryor got their starts. Her second comedy album, Horny for Death, just debuted at number one on iTunes and Amazon, making this her second number one album. She's raw and hilarious. Her honest stream of consciousness style of delivery keeps audiences cracking up while feeling seen, all for the normal human flaws that we tend to run from. And that is what I loved about her. We talked a lot about first creating your own work, creating your own opportunities, and then we started talking about how she uses humor to build connection with people and to help people feel seen. And so I loved this interview. And I hope you enjoy it too. Welcome to the show, Jessica. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh my God. Thank you for having me, Kim. It's very exciting to be here. I'm a big fan of your show. been listening to a bunch of episodes. Really excited to chat with you. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. So I just want to start off with 
How did you get your start in comedy? Oh gosh, it's a whole roller coaster. I technically started officially doing stand up about 10, 10 and a half years ago, but I think I was always a funny kid. I was always, as a very young kid, more people would describe it as weird than funny. <laughs> probably they're like, what a weirdo. But I, I used humor a lot in my childhood just as a way to make friends, but also had a bit of a tumultuous upbringing and lived in a household where having a sense of humor was almost like a necessary to relieve tension. A lot of times, a lot of, I'm in a very from a very chaotic family, to put it politely. So lots of yelling, lots of not always nice moments. So humor was developed as a, a coping mechanism, a tool. And of course, being a weird kid, I dealt with cartoonishly classic bullying in school. So learning to make the joke first or make a better joke before someone could make fun of me was like, it's like a very classic kind of comedian story in that aspect. But but by the time I graduated high school, I just I knew that being funny was a strength of mine. One of my like personal characteristics I took pride in and went to college and studied public relations and mass communication. Mm -hmm. But the whole time was always saying, I want to do comedy. I'm getting a degree as my backup plan, which anyone listening to this, that's such an expensive backup plan. If you really want to, if I could give my younger self, I worked out, I made a lot of amazing friends in college, but if I could give my younger self one piece of advice, it would be like, just dive in, go for the dream. College will always be there. Don't throw away $60,000 on something you're not going to need. But it worked out. Yeah. By the end of my senior year of college, I had been saying, I want to do a comedy. I'm going to be a comedian. And I was like, oh, crap. I better figure out how you do comedy. <laughs> so, so what I did you do? I just, thankfully, I was at the era of college students where we all had laptops. Google was thriving. So I always wonder how people did it in the old days, the old days before <laughs> Google, the late 90s. Oh, ancient times. I just looked up comedy club open mics in my city at the time. I went to school in Tampa. So I went to, there was a comedy club called Side Splitters and they were doing an open mic. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write some jokes I'm going to go do these jokes, see how it goes. So I didn't know anything about the inside of comedy as far as there's a thing called the light. So when it's time for you to wrap up, someone in the back of the room flashes a light or there's one that's in there. So I blasted through that, kept doing <laughs> jokes. They finally had to play music, but <laughs> I had a really good first experience and I was getting laughs. I had, I spent a lot of time. It's so funny now because so much of my material just comes out on stage and I work it out live in person or I keep going back to it. But this, I rehearsed it in front of a mirror. I was, I knew all my punchlines and it turned out that open mic was a competition for Florida's funniest person. And one of two people, two people are going to go to the semifinals of this competition that the club did, which is just like, a way for local comedians to basically sell tickets for the club, but it's still really cool. I'd never done anything. They're like, we're going to, you're in the semifinals. And I was like, very, very nice for the ego to be like my first time. And I'm in the semifinals of Florida right. person. But then the club owner came up to me after my set. And he said, that was really funny. I would just say, try to be a little bit cleaner because I was saying, I have a, the mouth of a sailor. And when you add nerves on top of that, and I think I'd had one whiskey and Coke 
I was just dropping F-bombs every other sentence. If I watched that set today, thank God I don't know anywhere to find it. I would probably cringe at just the amount of the content was also are, you know, fairly dirty, but it was just I didn't know that he what he really meant was like, don't say the F word so much. So I wrote a whole new set. Squeaky clean jokes bombed so hard. It was the worst. It was, I was just. I was like, I don't belong here. I'm a I'm an idiot. Why did I do this? Devastating. Right. But but so do you look back at that and think that maybe there's a lesson in you weren't being yourself when you wrote the squeaky clean thing? Yes. And I think and what's so funny is that it goes both ways because there was this rise at the time I started doing comedy. You were seeing some of these big female comedians who were dirty. They were edgy, and that was their act and probably how they are. That's how I always had been. But you, I see it the other way where, you know, young comedians, I had, you know, girlfriends I met in comedy when I first started who weren't naturally dirty and they were trying to do dirty jokes. And it was just as awkward as me trying to do a musical cue in a joke about Mickey Mouse. You know what I mean? Is I, It's just inauthentic. And you know, it's so funny because I've tried so hard to stay authentic as I grow as an artist. But only recently do I feel like very recently have I really leaned into the full acceptance of what people are going to find some of my material dirty or too dark, but those aren't my people. Cause it's to the point, like, I know that's what I do on stage, but I wouldn't put out like my Instagram, social media. I never put out any of my dirty clips. And then recently I was like, what am I doing? That's the clips get viewed by new people. They become your fans. Why am I not selling what I'm actually doing? That's true. There's a stigma behind being a dirty comedian. And also just the term dirty gets thrown on female comedians if they mention sex. I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs in the background. I think I cannot. All right. The filters are working, but uh, I do go further into things than I am. Some of some of my material I can do clean. I have good clean jokes, but some of my stuff is objectively dirty. And there's this. Oh, what are people going to think of me as a human if I do dirty material? Or sometimes there's this fear I have, and I, I don't think I'm unique in it as an artist that the entertainment industry, these big decision makers, agents, whatever, the people who book bigger stuff, they're going to, they, they put people in the box. They'll go, oh, she's dirty, and they don't want to see anything. They're just like, you're the dirty person. We'll call you when we need a dirty person. And so... Mm. I think that was a hang up that like, oh, if I put out if I put out some clips that have dirty jokes, that's going to validate that thought for those people. But I'm 10 years in. I've had two number one comedy albums. I'm touring constantly with I'm very thankful. But all, none of that has come from anyone on the industry side helping me. So I'm like, why am I trying to cater to what I think these people want when I've been fine on my own and they're not? They're already not here doing any of the work. Some people get snatched up really early by an agent and they have a team doing all their work. I'm a one man shop and I'm fine with it. It, Yeah, it'd be nice to like have someone take that over. But it just occurred to me recently that I'm like, oh, I'm trying to like do this whole shuffle of what do you guys want to see when it's yeah, it's working. The audience likes what I'm doing. So I'm staying true to who I am and the audience likes it. Okay, so someone behind a desk who doesn't know what they want is going, I don't know what we could possibly do with this comedian. I'm like, why don't put me in a club? <laughs> but- okay, so I love this thing that you're doing because it's the topic that I've been big on lately. 
which is you're basically creating your own place at the table. You're creating your own work and because nobody can find a place to where they're going to put you. Is, would you say that's true? Yes, which it, to me is so silly, but it's like, I think a lot of people on the entertainment industry side, they are very, they've got like a salesperson mind, which is good. They have to, but they see, they see us artists, humans as like product. So they go, do you check the boxes I'm trying to check for this thing? And it's very dehumanizing. And it's always one person in each category. I feel like with comedy, that's like the person who's famous for that. They'll have one really big female who's like the dirty female comedian. So you're like, oh, we already Nikki Glazer is already a thing. And I love Nikki. And they go, so what are we going to do with you? And I'm like, okay, we're not doing the same material just Mm -hmm. because we both happen to talk about edgy stuff. So it's okay. The cool thing about social media, even like this with podcasting is you don't need a middleman anymore. Yes. You can be like, okay, then I'll just put my stuff out there and slowly but surely it will get to the people who it is for. So, yeah. Yeah. I just got back from New York visiting my daughter and we went to see an off-Broadway musical. It's a new musical called A Commercial Jingle for Regina Comet. And one of the writers is Ben Finkhauser. He was one of the original newsies on Broadway. We have followed this guy's career for 10 years. And I said, I have to go see this while I'm there. I went to it last week and it was amazing. But what I really loved was after it was over, we just happened to be there on a night where they had a talk back with the creative (gasps) team. Oh, amazing. And, And one of the things they talked about was, because the show has a theme of being relevant and the main character is her star is dimming and how do I remain relevant? And so, but they were saying that was why they wrote it was because it's hard to find jobs and what do you do when nobody, when you're not getting callbacks and, you know, so then COVID happened and in 18 months they wrote this musical and got it on a stage, which I think is phenomenal. And so oh my I just God. It just plays into all the themes that I just keep on talking about. You can't sit there and wait for people to bring the opportunity to you. You have to make it. Absolutely. And it is a lot of hard work. I literally have to tell you, I have chills. You're just telling me that story. Oh, awesome. When even like with me, I've been on on my podcast. It was never originally set out to be like a self-growth and development podcast, but that's where I've been shifting. So my guests have started shifting that direction. And it's crazy how like, now I'm running into people who are saying the things like through guests or like even doing this where it's, oh, it's all revalidating those things you're learning. That's really cool. Incredible. But yeah, I think there's a lot of people who just thinks if a big Hollywood agent doesn't discover me, I'll never get to do the things I want to do where, which is okay. If your goal, I guess, if your goal is to just be a famous star, but you there's no like direction of a craft you like, then that maybe could be a hurdle. But even now with TikTok and everything, I feel like there's ways to get in there. But it's like people, even you saying this, you're going to an off-Broadway show that these people created themselves and they're like, all right, we're going to do our own thing because we didn't get cast somewhere recently. We're going to give ourselves a show. It's like, 
audience members, people consuming art, they just want the entertainment. They the feelings to be evoked that they get from going to a musical or to a comedy show or to a concert. And it's you can get yourself in those doors. It's like I when I started going on the road, it was just like me and a couple a couple other girlfriends did a group tour together. And we just started like emailing and calling venues. We're like, hey, we're three comedians from L.A. on the rise do you want to do like a one night show? And it was like, we would do these door deals and some of them weren't great deals, but it was also like, we're not big names. We don't know if we're going to draw. So it's like getting a foot in and going mm-hmm. like, we're going to show up, do a good job. The audience members who come will like it. And the next time we come, they're going to tell three of their friends. You know what I mean? It sounds like a pyramid scheme. We're not like tell three <laughs> of our friends, but yeah, no, it's, Maybe a little bit easier if you magically are in this in the entertainment industry. It's yes, talent. Yes, having a certain look. But so much of being a list or the top person who's on the Netflix specials, it's luck. Like the right people saw you and they have the connection and they know the person who's booking the thing. But that doesn't mean that you can't make things happen for yourself. And it just takes a little bit of like drive and also committing to yourself that going like realizing, oh, I don't need to rely on this outside power that it's like the entertainment industry specifically. It's like this mysterious, like you think these people hold all the power and oh, if I don't, people hurt themselves by thinking that they can't do anything if they don't have representation. And it's because of that, you're not making the effort because you just go, oh, people just will assume that like a club's not going to book them or the amount of people who have been like, oh, you're doing that thing. It must be be like to me, it must be because did your manager get you that? And I am like, I don't have a manager. And it's just it's a very weird. You have to be willing to commit to the work side of it. That's it's the hard balance with a creative. You go, yeah, we all want to just do our art for a living. That's great. but. If you really want to, this is something I'm really just learning myself, how much more I need to set specific goals. Like I've been throwing things out into the world just randomly, but now I'm like, okay, actually let me focus on my social media. You have to, I've become like a one woman shop that it's like, okay, let me put on my like social media person hat and cut up a bunch of videos that I'm going to release this week. And it's, yeah, you just have to have faith in yourself and also believe in what you're doing enough that you can, you have to believe in your product, so to speak, if you're going to get anyone else to believe in it. So I think that's probably step one is just being like, I know I'm good at this. I know that this is a skill I have. So start there and then move into like, how can I present this to other people? Yeah. I just really love what you're doing with like how you decide you're going to go on your own comedy tour. I think that's amazing. So I want to talk about this idea of have not having a backup plan, because that is something that I have always said, too. It's like, we don't need a backup plan. Go all in on your idea. Is, is that what you believe or is there a different way you look at that? I you know what I do. And I say this as someone who initially had the backup plan. I went to college and I think in ways, I'm sure it developed me as a a human in ways which fed into what I do. But I definitely think it slowed down my progress or my getting really into comedy. Because the thing is, if you have a backup plan, most of us, because we're wired for that, it's not even our fault. It's like we're living in a capitalist country. 
that you're told like money is power, which is not untrue. Unfortunately, I don't care about money. I don't like to think about it. But like you gotta have it to survive. Sure. <laughs> so people go, oh, you gotta your life will fall apart if you don't go to college and get a career. And it's I understand the fear of taking the leap. And obviously we all have to do side things or figure out a way to survive. But if you've got your toe in another security door of if my dream doesn't work out, I have this job where I'm already climbing the corporate ladder. You're never going to go all the way in. You're going to always lean on the safety net. And you're not going to grow and build and get to where you want to go as an artist unless you dive in. It's wading in the water versus jumping in. Half the people who are like, I'll just step into a cold pool. They're like, no, never mind. It's too cold. I'm getting out mm-hmm. immediately. And it's, but if you jump in, you'll be fine. But it's, that's such a bold statement. Cause I'm not saying quit every job you have and just start going to open mics. Like I get right. I need to survive and have food, but it's like, especially right now where there's like a worker shortage in everything. It's get some job that like is a whatever job that just covers your costs that you don't have to commit mental energy to mm-hmm. and then put all your energy into the, the thing you want. But I really do think you can't, we only have a finite amount of energy and I think it takes a hundred percent when it comes to building a dream, you have to be able to put all your focus into it for it to go. So do you think that can anybody learn how to be funny or is it something that you're either born with or you don't have, or you can learn it? Nobody is going to want to hear me say this if they're not funny and want to be a comedian. But like, I do think there is an innateness to it. I think you can learn how to tell a joke. Mm-hmm. I think you can. I think there is very formulaic things like a, a lot of jokes. It is this sort of setup punch and you can take classes or you can read up on how to deliver a joke properly. But I really think funny. I could be wrong. I think funny is an innate thing that you are born with and then circumstantially maybe get put into places where that's something you develop. So it could be that you're not someone who is considered very funny now, but maybe that is in you and you just don't tap into that. And I think that's definitely worth exploring for anyone because I think my ability to be funny probably was always in me. And I was early on put in circumstances where <laughs> it helped me survive and thrive to be funny. Like I was to go back to the like being invited to the table metaphor that it's like that was my seat at the table with friend groups is that, <laughs> oh, no one was going. You get to sit like literally going. You get to sit here because you're funny. But it's that's why people enjoyed having me around. So that it's like, if someone enjoys having you around for a reason, they think of you and you get invited to something. And that only opens the door for more connecting and more reaching more people in whatever you want to do. But I do think it's something. I don't know. It's maybe like singing that you could be terrible and take enough lessons and practice hard enough to get OK. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Or, you know what? Maybe it's a thing where, yes, if you aren't naturally funny, you could learn. But I think you would Someone in that in that lane would have to be willing to commit a lot of time, which like it's a lot of time in general, but it's I guess it's just like anything. It Maybe it's going to take you a little more work. Like sometimes I think I got into comedy, even though it's such a far stretch of making it like even the percentage of people who go for it that even get to where I'm at. And I'm, I'm like on the ladder, but more on the bottom of the ladder in terms of comedians who are full time comedians. Mm hmm. 
it's like there's a little bit of me. Yeah, but I think that I was like a little lazy. I was like, well, no, I know I'm good at being funny. So. I'll do that. That's comes <laughs> easy, but it also is a source of joy. So I think that's also something people need to listen to if they're trying to figure out like a purpose. And I've been reading up on, I read a million personal development books, mm-hmm. listen to so many podcasts going back even into like childhood. Like what were the things that were your like organic source of joy? And sometimes that can point you to, I was always funny. I was always putting on shows. I was always making jokes with my family. There's people who like used to love drawing, but then you go like, grow up and stop doing the thing you love. I don't know. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So you're also trying to transition into something where you're promoting healing through comedy. What does that look like? Yeah, You know what? It's so funny. It took me a long time to realize I think when I first started comedy, it was this very, you know, what a lot of comedians, it's like this need for validation, this hoping like, translating an audience laughing at me as like some form of like love and they like me and which is which is normal but it is a little that's a bummer but (laughs) I think I've gotten to a point where I'm secure enough in in my abilities as a comedian that I'm no longer seeking that there's apartments I know that I'm funny whether or not this set goes well but it it wasn't till I reached that point that I realized how healing doing comedy is for me interesting And that's why I also think it's important, even if you don't make it your profession, it's weird. I was just saying this last night to somebody, but it's weird to me that weird, just silly because people go, what are your hobbies? And I took what would probably still be a hobby if I had another job and I made a living out of it, but it still is something I love to do. And for me, being on stage is a very, it sounds weird, especially if anyone ever sees my comedy because I'm so high energy (laughs) and like jumping all around and like yelling, but it's meditative for me. It's when I'm the most present and Hmm. not in my head because I'm just there connecting in the present moment with the audience. And I, I realized that like that, especially in this last year where comedy live stuff came to a halt, there were no live shows. And I was really kind of getting a little manic having who am I like a life crisis and I realized that so much of me doing comedy is healing for me but also in the last few years I've started talking about more personal things my struggle with depression I have childhood trauma I have uh, chronic illness I have rheumatoid arthritis which is an autoimmune disease which most people hear arthritis and they go like like my grandma Mm -hmm. and it's like for I, I struggled for a long time wanting to talk about it for the same reason, as I said earlier with the dirty stuff, I was like, I don't want to be seen as a victim. I don't want people to think, oh, that's yeah. the comedian with the sickness. Like it was some sort of weird, dumb pride thing of I don't want to be. It's, that's an ongoing identity crisis for me is that I don't want to be summed up by one part of me who does. But the Internet loves to do that. But in starting to talk about like my depression or make jokes about rheumatoid arthritis and living with chronic pain, I realized that not only was it helpful for me because I'm sort of coming to these truths, like so much of, I think, getting through anything that's hard, especially illness, is there's a lot to be said about acceptance, like going, "Ah, I'm fine. No, it's fine. I can walk it off when you know that you have a chronic illness is like, yeah, okay, sure. Have fun with that. And going, you know what, actually, I sometimes I have to take breaks and have days where I don't do as much. And that's hard for me as a workaholic who just like loves to be productive. But 
going from a place of this is what I have, let's work within that immediately more healing. But in talking about it, I was able to a make jokes about it. And sometimes with circumstantial things that are beyond your control, you have an illness, you have a, a family member with an illness or a family member who's just very stressful, but or someone in your life, some circumstance that like is terrible. And there's really nothing you can or only so much you can do about it. There's only so much control you have over it. And that's why I like dark material is because sometimes making a joke about it is, ah, at least that for a moment, I'm just laughing at this ridiculous thing that's such a pain in my butt. Like finding a way to just go, yeah, sometimes my hips and my knees lock up when I'm on top of my boyfriend. And then that's, and then I just cave. It's healing for you. But what I realized is I started having people from the audience come up to me and going, hey, I also am depressed. And that stuff really made me feel like a little like that. Thanks for saying that people don't get it. It made me feel okay. It made me feel because some of the best material that I laugh at from other comedians, it's not always heavy topics, but it's these little observations that you go, they say it and you go, oh, other people do that. Other people have that. Ah, I thought I was like crazy. And it's this connection you have where you go, oh, I'm not crazy. This is a circumstance other people go. Isn't that amazing that you can take something like that feels like such a heavy topic for you and you share it. And then you have people coming up with you afterwards who, even though you were presenting it in a funny way, it made that connection where they feel less alone. That's why it has to be like the ultimate reward for doing what you do. Yeah. It's, oh, it brought me to this place of, oh, I didn't realize it was always in there subconsciously, but I didn't realize this is why I do what I do. This is what so cool. I love about making people laugh. And now it's going into these heavier topics and helping people laugh at things that like they didn't know they could laugh at. I didn't know I could laugh at them. And it's such an incredible feeling because, yeah, sometimes all you can do is laugh. And if you can, if there's someone who can help you find a way to see your thing, even for a moment as like funny laughter there's a reason there's, I don't think laughter is the best medicine. I don't think it's a substitute for a vaccine or <laughs> antibiotics, but there's a reason for the phrase laughter is the best medicine because it like, it's a release of tension. I honestly think that at, at the like core of laughter, at least most laughter, it's like laughter is a physical reaction to being overjoyed by feeling understood. Like, I think you feel so seen that your body literally is like exploding with joy because there's things when you're struggling with mental health and physical health, trauma, abuse, whether it's systemic in your household. I mean, there's God, unfortunately, there's an endless list of things that people struggle with. Just it's sometimes you can feel like nobody gets it and having a moment where you see someone and you go, oh, they get it. Ah, it does suck, but I, they get it. It's like this release. It's this one little uptick of yay. But that's not always going to be there. Like it's the laugh ends and you're still going to have bad days. But it's if I feel like I want to stay as like funny with my comedy, with punchlines and always have a joke and have a bit. But if through doing that, I can help other people have those moments of connection. It's, oh, yeah, that's what 
doing standup is about for me is like giving people moments of joy in a world where, boy, if you ever turn on the news, do they really not want you to have moments of joy? (laughs) We're we're inundated. You turn on social media and it's like you can curate your feeds by following the right things. But sometimes people end up with these feeds of just negative, stressful, something that they hate, but it's designed to make you have a reaction. So you click on it and then you come across something. You're like, oh, this is just silly. Great. And it's, yeah, I'm just one of the things, one of the millions of things out there helping you have silly moments. <laughs> you know, though, I think that that is huge, though, just thinking about, and I've heard this a lot recently, that people just want to be know that they are seen and heard. And so by being able to give that to people through your comedy, I think that's just such an amazing gift. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think. There's so many things. And and I think it took me working on myself and realizing these things for myself to understand that, oh, other people also can benefit from this. But there was so much. Th- there can be so many things in your life that invalidate your reality. Just people who have different opinions, people who haven't struggled with what you have. So they're not trying to invalidate it, but they don't really understand chronic pain. A lot of people, Mm -hmm. especially like I have what at this point is considered an rheumatoid arthritis until you start to see the visible effects is invisible illness Mm -hmm. and people who don't have chronic pain a lot of times. And I don't blame them because before I had it, I probably was one of them. They go, I think this person is just being a baby. They're like, "Uh, yeah, we're all in pain. And you're like, no, I'm my body's like on fire. (laughs) Yeah. So it's you can constantly just to the point that it makes you start to feel crazy if people don't understand your illness or even just like opinions. If you're surrounded by a bunch of people and I'm not getting political, it's like on either side of whatever spectrum, if you live in a community where everyone agrees on one thing and you just see it differently, you can start to go like, it's like being gaslit. You're like, am I insane? And then just hearing someone go, no, actually, that makes sense. It's I've had that. I've thought that. You're like, oh, I'm not a bad person. I just have a different point of view. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. It's just like sure. relief. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not alone. Now, if there's anybody here that's listening, that's, oh, man, this is just all really resonating with me. That makes me want to try stand up. What kind of what kind of advice would you have for somebody who's like, yeah, I think I'm pretty funny. I want to give this a try. How would they go about getting started? I, first of all, I think that's great. And there's, it's so funny because there's this trope of bitter comedians who are like, don't ever do this. It's terrible. But I'll meet people all the time. I, it's like, I go to new cities. I have to take a Lyft or an Uber or like I'm out at a restaurant and they go, oh, I've always wanted to try it. Just look up, start by get on Google, do what I did. Open mics in, type in your city, type in your town, see if there's anything nearby. That would be my first, my first piece of advice is just, it's really, it's just, just dive in, find a place to go, write out some jokes. Do not think that you can, you can go off the cuff once you're up there, but let me tell you, five minutes feels like an eternity if you are <laughs> not prepared. So come up with some jokes. Is there a funny story from your life you want to tell? Observations you've made. Make a plan. And that can end up being a backup plan, but go with some jokes. And I would say the first step is just trying it. See how you feel when you get in front of that mic. Because for me, it's different for everyone, but it was instant. 
it was instant. Because I, I initially I thought I want to be on Saturday Night Live. I thought I wanted to do sketch and characters, which don't get me wrong. I am yeah. Lauren Michaels. If you want to give me a call, by all means, I will answer your phone call. Um, but the minute I did stand up and I got my first laugh, like the first laugh, it was like this instant like calling. Like I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I belong here. So see how you feel. And it's not to say that you're going to feel great immediately, but it's like, just get up a few times. Really what it comes down to is writing and then getting on stage as much as you can. If you have to drive a little further for some open mics, give it a shot. See how you feel. You could, that could lead to you being like, I I wish there was more stage time. I'm going to go to a local bar and see if they want to start an open mic and I'll host it. But the key is really just diving in. And there are classes and stuff. If you're someone who like thinks you need help with, structure or could just use the community. That's a, that's to me, the biggest benefit of classes when you're early on is yeah, they'll teach you about comedy, but also you make some friends who now, cause it can be scary. Anything is scary. You're jumping and there's no net and you're like, Oh, now I have some other friends with me. We're all jumping in the pool together. You meet people. And, you, and a lot of those people will become your friends for the rest of your life. I did a comedy class really early on. I'd already started and I hit up this woman who booked shows. I was like, I want to do your show. And she's like, it's all people in my class. And then being a delusional early 20 year old was like, I don't need a class, but I'll take it. And it was great. I did. It was very helpful. And I wrote a lot of jokes I wouldn't have come up with because that's what happens in a lot of those programs is they make you go to premises you wouldn't have thought of yourself. But the biggest thing I got out of it is like some of my best friends still to this day, like still doing comedy. We hit each other up. We run jokes by each other. But yeah, really, it's just it's so accessible now. And there's I'm telling you, if you're thinking like, I don't live in LA, there's not going to be open mics near me. It's exploding. There are so many little micro scenes all over, not even the country, the world. Like I've gone to Europe and it's, oh, there's a scene. There is a comedy scene in Zurich, Switzerland, full of really fun, really cool comedians. Like they're, I just go for it. The thing is like you, you could fail miserably and you could hate it, but that's not, it's not going to kill you. You hate it. Now you just go, oh, look at that. I tried something. And even in doing that, strengthening that muscle that gives you the courage to try new things. So even if you do stand up, you're like, actually, I don't stand up. But now you've just made yourself a little bit better at taking a risk. And that's going to get you to whatever the thing is that you do love, that you are going to like, it's going to spark all the joy. I love how there's so much personal development, psychology, <laughs> and everything that you say. That's I so see, cool. I like, can you tell that, that I like binge? Uh, personal wellness books and podcasts. That's Everything's awesome. about growth. <laughs> That's awesome though. It's the best way to make sure that you get to where you want to go. Yeah. Cause it's like, why not? Like we all get one life or on a rock curling through space. If you want to try mm-hmm. something, try it. Like, not, and it's also like getting over the fear of failure is because failure is just a tool to get you to where you're going. It teaches you stuff. And if you don't, look at everything as it didn't go well. It didn't go well. You're not a huge, embarrassing loser. Who's never going to, no one's, no one will ever love me. I bombed at an open mic. It's like, (laughs) now you, 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 you learn things about either comedy or about yourself. And it just, it's all, it's all building resilience and getting you, I don't know. Why not try things? Who cares? (laughs) Yeah. So you, before we wrap up, I want to make sure that we tell people you just released your second comedy album. Is that right? 
I did. Uh, it's called horny. If you're like, will it be dirty or dark? Yes. I think it's pretty clear up top. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I think just choosing that name was a little personal win for me and leaning into. Yeah, that's a big thing, too, with art and even like stuff doing podcasts or putting yourself out there in any type of vulnerable way. Being OK with the fact that like, you're not going to be for everybody and that's fine, but the people you are for are going to be really grateful that you're putting stuff out there because it's going to resonate with them. So, yeah, horny for death. You can get it anywhere you listen to music. It's doing really well. I'm getting a lot of good feedback. And yeah, just if anyone listens to it, find me at JMS Comedy. Let me know what you think. And I will put the link to all of your socials, your website, everything in the show notes so they can look for it there. But is there anything that you any final words you want to leave the audience with before we go? I will do a plug for my podcast. Ignorance is hashtag blessed because I interview people who are all across the spectrum of wellness and growth. I, I, I interview a ton of people, but lately it's that you get me on the end asking really dumb, embarrassing questions like I don't even know. Is sugar really that bad? That's not that's not an embarrassing question. But so that that's a fun place if you're into the kind of things I've been saying or the things you hear here. And then I just guess to button on all the things you brought out of me and we talked about is just like don't be afraid to lean in, commit to who you are and and stop apologizing for it and just go for the things you want to try. <laughs> I love it. This has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. It's been great being here. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big.